Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. Well, join us uh, in the book of Exodus, chapter number 1, in your Bible, the book of Exodus, chapter number 1. Uh, we have finished the book of Jude uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, just as praying through uh, some different uh, directions, and I want to take some time and look at some different people in the Bible and be encouraged by their example. And one of those is the man Moses, and we're going to take a little bit of time and see how God used him, and specific, specifically in uh, uh, seeing God bring deliverance uh, in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 1, we're going to begin with the reading of the Word. Exodus 1 verses 1 through 10, and then don't close your Bible. We're going to be back in here uh, quite a bit off and on, and so keep those Bibles limber and open uh, in this section. So have you got it there? Say amen. Amen. All right, that sounds like the majority, so let's read this together. Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, lest we, let, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies, and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Let's stop and pray together here. This, this evening. Father, we thank you for this uh, great example of Moses, and Lord, we look forward to learning more about his life tonight, but I just pray that you would help us, Lord, uh, to be able to lift up the light of Jesus Christ. Lord, we live in a land uh, that, uh, in which many people are in bondage, but we thank you, Lord, that you are the one that delivers us out of darkness and brings us into the light. And so help us tonight to be encouraged on this midweek service, and, and Lord, uh, to be strengthened in the Word of God. May your Spirit speak mightily uh, to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. No doubt we live in an era in which it seems like there is a, a lot of people are in bondage today. If you look around us, we can, we can see uh, whether it's the growing addictions uh, of many sort. It's not just a drug addiction. There's pornography addictions. There's all kinds of addictions, uh, which is sin uh, that people have given themselves over to. And we see uh, that many people are almost trapped in these things, and they need to be delivered. Well, I'm thankful that we serve the deliverer. 
I'm thankful we serve the God who still can bring people out of these things. And as we see in look in the Word of God, we see the power of God to deliver people out of bondage. Isn't He good? Amen. I'm so thankful that we serve a wonderful God. And listen, not only does the New Testament tell us about Jesus breaking Satan's power on the cross and delivering us from the bondage of sin, but we see even here in the Old Testament, in the story of the Israelites, that the physical picture of how God still delivers today. Listen, God not only has power to deliver us as His people, but listen, He also delights in doing so. Isn't that good? Listen, God doesn't say, oh, man, Jared's at it again. i got to get him back out of this thing. No, what He says is, listen, I'm so thankful that He's turning back to me. I'm so thankful that He has this desire to get His life right with me. And He delights to bring us from these places of bondage and into freedom. And I'm reminded even tonight of Galatians 5.1. And He says, and, uh, uh, and be not... Uh, well, it's there and then it's gone. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free... And be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Thank you, Brother Michael. I appreciate that little jump start there. Listen, the reminder is that Christ truly is the one that sets us free. And he says, listen, we don't have to go back to the vomit like the dog. We don't have to go back to the pig pen. We can stay free through Jesus Christ. And what a glorious thing that we see here in the book of Exodus and how God delivers these people out of this bondage. At the time that Exodus was written, it was long before the great nations of Babylon or Persia came into dominance. And what we find is that Egypt was really the prevailing power. And God performed an amazing victory here by bringing His people out of this bondage and into deliverance. In fact, Joshua years later would talk about this in Joshua chapter 24 and verse number 17. It says, For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, which did, uh, which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. Every year as the, the Jews come together and they celebrate Passover, they still remember the deliverance of God, even today. Isn't that exciting? Man, it's, a, it's amazing that we serve a God who is still able. Just like He was then, He can now. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and how long? Forever. Amen. So the book of Exodus is, is part of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. But Egypt was, the, uh, as we see here, Egypt was uh, that dominant superpower. And, and, uh, and as we look at this, we see Exodus begins around the year of 1850 B.C., so about almost 2,000 years before Christ. And we see that as it opens the, the, the pages of Scripture, we see here in Exodus that it gives us a brief history of what just happened at the end of Genesis. If you go to Genesis, you can read about the life of Joseph and then how God used, took Joseph, the son of Jacob, who had been in the midst of the Egyptians by divine appointment. God put him there. He had to go through the trial to get to where he was. There was a dream of a coming famine, and Joseph interpreted a dream by Pharaoh, and as a result, he was in a place of prominence. And God blessed Joseph and gave him great favor with Pharaoh, and all of the people were given land and a place to raise their flocks in Goshen. And so, as a result, God blessed the children of Israel in verse number 7 of our text tonight, and the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied. Over the years, we see that God, the children of Israel just grew larger and larger, and God continued to bless them. 
And as we be- begin in the very, very beginning of verse number 8, we be- what we begin is we begin to see the perils of their bondage begun- begin to increase. So let's look here in verse number 8. We're going to see this hateful crime that really began right here in verse number 8. It says, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. So even though the children of Israel were in bondage, they were growing in number, they were becoming fruitful, and suddenly it was almost as if the spirit of the culture toward them began to change. And so I don't know if you've sensed it in our culture in the last 20 years, but maybe not as friendly toward Christians as they used to be. Uh, you know, back in the 70s, I believe there was a moral majority. Uh, we no longer enjoy a moral majority anymore. Listen, the spirit of the culture is changing. Well, they were in the same process. While they had been tolerated as working slaves before, now they were becoming intimidating. And so uh, Pharaoh, we see, uh, begins to look at them with fear. So we see this hateful crime begins with just verse number 8. They were unfamiliar with Joseph. Throughout the early years of Egypt's uh, early history, there were many different dynasties. And, but it was during the, about the 17th dynasty that Joseph came uh, into Egypt. And it was during this time that Joseph really was uh, elevated and, and he was appreciated in this dynasty. Uh, but in the 18th dynasty, the king didn't know Joseph. Uh, it, was a, it was a brand new ruler, a brand new family. And they began to rule in an evil manner. And so this, this Pharaoh, who was unfamiliar with how Joseph had brought the Egyptians, uh, and brought deliverance to the Egyptians, and how God was mightily working in his life, had no desire to uh, be a blessing, to, to uh, even continue to uh, support the children of Israel. You know, throughout the history of Christendom, what we find is that Christians have oftentimes been viewed as trouble. We've been often viewed as troublemakers. As a matter of fact, if you go to the book of Acts, we find Paul was called a pestilent fellow. Uh, he was a troublemaker, if you will. And that's what he was called by the world, and he was viewed as such. The Bible says in Acts 24 and verse 5, and he says, For we have found this man a pestilent fellow, and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Listen, the culture had shifted uh, and had turned its, uh, its anger and its hate toward the Israelites. Same thing happened in the New Testament toward the Christians, and even is happening in our culture today. And so what do we do? Do we give up in despair? Well, I love the example of Exodus. I love the example of the Apostle Paul. That even though uh, at one point he was literally uh, stoned to death, drug outside the city, his body was dumped, he gets up, he wipes off the dust from his clothes, and he turns around and walks right back into the city. Uh, Man, that just just blows my mind. I'm thinking, I don't think that's the direction I would have chosen voluntarily. But man, that was just, he said, listen, it is, if, I am, if I suffer for the cause of Christ, then truly I, I, I am grateful that I can suffer for Christ. And it reminds me of our theme verse this year, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. We want to know the Lord. We want to know His power at work in our lives, but we don't want to know what it is to suffer. Right? And when, I, oh, when you go out the door, that to me is suffering. <laughs> that cold weather is rough. Some of you are like, Pastor, it's just now getting comfortable. Well, y'all need some medicine for that. 
But listen, this, this king was unfamiliar with Joseph, but more importantly, he was unfamiliar with Jehovah. He didn't know the Lord. And what we find is, is that as they were growing stronger in their captivity, Pharaoh was growing stronger in his animosity toward not only the children of Israel, but toward their God. Look in verse number 9 with me in your Bible. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth any, out any war, they join also our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Now, look over a couple of chapters in your Bible, verse number, chapter 5 and verse number 2. Chapter 5, verse 2. It says, And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice to let Israel go? He didn't, he didn't love the Lord. He didn't uh, worship the, Satan, the Jehovah. He didn't care anything about them because he was an idolater. He served many gods. And the whole reason that many sins and difficulties were in Egypt was because the king and the people knew not the Lord. Man, it's hard not to, in my mind, see the similarities in our nation, with our leadership, and the children of Israel and Egypt. Or even in the days uh, of the 1930s and see what was going on in some of the things in Germany and some of the things we see today. Listen, our leaders are removing the Ten Commandments from public places. They have, are disallowing any kind of uh, prayer in our, our schools, but also in public in general. They're seeking to remove any remembrance of God from any arena they possibly can. And instead, they're trying to indoctrinate our children with lies from Satan. Listen, our opportunity is great. We can look at this and we can, we can despair. You know, we can look at it and say, oh, our culture is just going down the tubes. But you know, the reality is that it's never been a greater opportunity to lead someone to Christ. You know, there's never been more lost people all around us than there is right now. You see, our opportunity is great to declare God's glory in a pagan culture. So let us not be afraid. Let us not shrink back from the duties ahead of us, but let us be able to say, listen, this is a great moment like Psalms 96.3 says, to declare His glory among the heathen, His wonders among all people. Listen, you know what he's saying? He says, open up and let her fly. That's Texas talk. That means tell them about it. Man, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to let people know about the goodness of our God. Don't let uh, people, don't be ashamed to be able to say, listen, we serve a wonderful God, and this is what He has done for you. His Son came to this earth, and He died for you, and this is the glorious thing, that if you'll put your faith in Him, He too will save your soul. So we see that this king was unfamiliar with Joseph, unfamiliar with Joseph, but he was unfair with the people. We see that really begin to play out here in uh, Exodus chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, as we just read it a second ago. But listen, Pharaoh was paranoid. There's no other way to put it. And he looks at, uh, at them, he says, come on, let us deal wisely. We've got to do something with these people. They're getting too strong. And so while the children of Israel had found refuge under the reign of previous pharaohs, now they were going to be, uh, now this pharaoh was guided by fear, and he was about to bring great punishment. Look in Genesis chapter 47 in your Bible, verses 5 and 6. Could be a couple pages to your left in your Bible. Genesis 47, verses 5 and 6. This is the previous dynasty, the previous Pharaoh speaking here. And it says, And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brethren are come unto thee. 
The land of Egypt is before thee. In the best of the land make thy father and brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen let them dwell. And if thou knowest any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. You, if you remember the story well, you remember Joseph told his uh, father, he says, listen, whatever you say, don't tell them you're a shepherd because they're despised in the eyes of the Egyptians. Well, the first thing uh, that uh, he said was, listen, we're shepherds. And God blessed his honesty. God blessed his, uh, his desire to just to honor the Lord. And, and God even uh, blessed Joseph in all of these things. But those blessings weren't still with him in Exodus 1. You see, while previous pharaohs accepted and welcomed the children of Israel, now this, this one, motivated by fear, became mean, intolerant, and eventually became a murderer. Exodus chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Let's look here what he says next. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. This word rigor means with harshness or severity. So in, in other words, the Egyptians cre- treated them cruelly. Every time I come to Exodus, does anybody else like me, you picture Charlton Heston? Thank you very much. I'm glad I'm not the only one. And I picture him down in those mud pits and those, those drivers up there, the Egyptian uh, uh, taskmasters with the whip, and they're, and they're down there as they're uh, trudging the, the, the clay. I don't know if that was really what it was like, but this is what I know, is that every time I read Exodus, that's what I picture. <laughs> Thank you, Hollywood. But listen, they were, they were called to make bricks. Here's a picture of a brick that they have found. I think we have a picture of it. There it is. This is the brick that is in the British Museum on display, it's, uh, and it's stamped on the bottom uh, where they know it's from the era of Ramses II. It's really interesting. So this would have been something similar to what the, uh, the children of Israel would have made during their time there. Listen, God had a purpose in all of their affliction. And just as He had a purpose in their affliction, He has a purpose in ours. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 20, But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance as you are this day. You see, God was working in the background in their lives. And they may not have realized as they were trudging in those uh, mud pits and as they were making those forms and as they were building these these buildings and these edifices uh, for this evil king, they had no idea what God was doing in the background because they couldn't see the end result. You see, because I believe that if God hadn't taken them to such a, uh, a terrible place, if they had not allowed that affliction to continue in their life, then they probably would have been happy to just continue to remain in Egypt. And if they had continued to remain in Egypt, they would have assimilated further into the culture of the people. And we saw this had already happened because even at uh, Mount Sinai, they were uh, making a god that resembled the one that they left in Egypt. They were already assimilating into that, uh, that culture. And, and God said, listen, I have called you out from among them. I want you to be separate from them because you are my people. You're not the Egyptian people. You are my people. And your life is to be an example for all the world. And not only that, but we see that God would use this lineage and this line so that the Savior would come forth. I tell you, God, when we look at this and we think, if we were in the midst of this in 21st century Christians and we were in those mud pits, 
we would probably be in the mud pits crying, Oh God, why are you bringing this? You don't love me anymore. Right? That would be my first probably cry. But God was working in the severity, in the affliction, to bring forth His purposes. Listen, the next time you go through a time of affliction, the next time you feel like you're in the midst of the mud pit, go back to Exodus chapter 1 and be reminded that even when you're going through the affliction, God has a purpose. Don't don't shy away from it. Don't complain about it. But say, Lord, thank you. I don't see what you're doing. Lord, I don't see the work that you're trying to work. But God, I'm going to trust you. Isaiah chapter 48 verse 10 says, Behold, God says, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. We serve a good God. And His ways, the Bible says, are higher than our ways. And His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And as He uh, invests in our life, and as He pours into our life, let me just remind you that God uh, does so sometimes with this affliction. And so as we go through trials, we can, like James, in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, be able to say, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You say, preacher, I didn't pray for patience. I don't want to go through this trial. But listen, God's going to take you through the affliction so He can make you more like Christ. There, is a, there are 88 strings on a piano. I almost pointed at that. That's a keyboard. It's a fake one. There's 88 strings on this piano. And you could go down through here and you can pluck each one. And each one of them are tightened uh, to a specific uh, amount. Matter of fact, there's so many pounds of pressure on each individual uh, strings, and, and it has a soundboard that's solid steel in there uh, to keep the, the tension. There are, there's over 45,000 pounds of tension that's put on that soundboard in that piano. 45,000 pounds. And you think about all that pressure and all that tension, and, and it's, uh, but it takes all of that to make it sound like it does. You see, God sometimes works in our life the same way. And we go through trials, and we go through afflictions, and we go through these times of pressure, but it's a lot like that piano. God has taken that to make something beautiful out of your life. And He can't do that without that pressure. So let me just call you back to trusting in Him. The second thing we see is that there is a harmful culture Sometimes you feel like you can't live for God in the midst of America today. You feel like, man, I've got to, I've got to build this, this wall around me. We're going to build a wall around us. Well, my name's not Donald Trump, and I don't have the money he does, so we're not going to build a wall. But we can be reminded that God has a plan for us here in this place. Sometimes cultures that are hateful to the things of God can become very harmful to the people of God. And they take out their animosity on us uh, as a result. And so we see that's what exactly what happened in Exodus as uh, in verses 15 and 16 in just a minute. We'll see the plots, this hateful plot of, uh, of Pharaoh. Let's look here. Pharaoh, and we see in verse number 15 and 16. 
And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, When you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew woman, and see, the, uh, see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. And so he had this idea. He said, Listen, uh, if I can't... Uh, if I can't eliminate them uh, any other means, then we're going to first start by killing the men. If we kill the men child, then they're not as strong. They're a weaker people. They can't multiply as rapidly. And so Pharaoh's idea was, listen, I, I don't care. I, I don't see them as life. I don't care about their life. But listen, this decision is completely contrary to the heart of God. Jeremiah 1.5 reminds us of the the. the incredible love that God has for every life. He says to the prophet, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. As that baby was forming in the belly, he said, Listen, I knew thee. I formed thee for a purpose. I had a reason for your life, and I have sanctified your life for a reason. He said, Listen, every life in God's eyes is valuable. In the Bible... It's very obvious if you read the Bible that life begins at conception. You see, because of that, Christians have always placed value, high value, on every life. Your life, the life of your neighbor, the life of even those that you can't really stand to be around, but you have to because they're family, they're all important. Amen? All life is created by God, and we are created in the image of God. Genesis 1.26 Listen, there's a society that uh, values life as a society that loves the Lord. But a society like Pharaoh's who didn't know the Lord didn't care anything about life. How sad it is that today in America we have forgotten that. A couple, uh, about a year and a half ago, my family and I was able to go to the Ark Encounter. And, and we got to go there to the museum and then to the Ark and just had a tremendous time of learning and growing and having some fun together. While we were there, we got to meet Ken Ham. Anybody ever know who Ken Ham is? a tremendous uh, apologist and just loves the Lord uh, and has done a lot to help uh, strengthen the faith of believers. And I would highly recommend families to go see the Ark Encounter, see the museum. While we're at the museum, they had this exhibit called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Uh, and so it looks a lot like this here. As a matter of fact, uh, we had a chance to meet Ken Ham after he spoke one time and we went down there, and I, I, I think he signed a book or something. I don't remember. And, and as I was speaking with him, I said, uh, Mr. Ham, I said, what would be fantastic, I said, this exhibit, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, needs to be in every church. It's just, it just is a walkthrough of the life of a, of a baby. And so you can go down through here and see timelines and, and all kinds of different things in the book. And there's even a pull-out uh, timeline. This was all in the, in the exhibit there. Here it is. There's the pull-out there. And it just pulls out, and you can see all of that. And you can walk through the different stages of life. And I, and I told him, I said, I said, Mr. Ham, I said, this is a tremendous exhibit. I said, but most people won't come see the ark. I said, you've got to do something where people can see this. And so I don't think that I made that big of an impression on him. He didn't act like I did. But regardless, a few months or about a year or so later in 2021, they published this book and they gave it to churches all across the world. 
Uh, and so we have two of these in our library. Uh, one was donated to the church by the LaValleys. We received one here. Uh, but I would encourage you to take time and look at this. This is in our, our library, and you're welcome to, to, to look at it. But it, it talks about the beauty of life and how God just so values every single life. Consider these statistics, if you will, with me real quickly. 19% of pregnancies in the United States end in abortion. No, I'm so grateful Roe v. Wade was overturned in the, in, the, in the summer, but that doesn't mean the fight's over. We see these liberal states that are now pushing to see uh, uh, babies murdered up to the, the day of their death, even 20 days after their birth. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. 879,000 babies are murdered each year through abortion. That's about 2,400 daily. There's over 61 million babies that have been aborted since uh, Roe v. Wade in 1973. 58% of Americans believe abortion should be legal over and over and over and over. Listen, this obviously doesn't reflect the heart of our God. God loves life at all stages. But let's see, secondly, in this, there is a higher perspective here. Because God's ways are higher than our ways. And and look in verse number 17 with me. It says, But the midwives feared God, and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they saved the men children alive. I can't help it in my mind and in my margin, in my Bible. I wrote, We ought to obey God rather than man. Amen? That's what the disciples said. You know what? When uh, they, were, they were so captivated with their love of God, they said, listen, I don't care what this, the most powerful man in the world says. What I care about is what, I'm, uh, is what God's going to say when I stand before Him one day. And these midwives, the Bible says, they feared the Lord above everything else. Why? Because they knew Him. You see the connection? You see how valuable it is for us to know Him and to help make Him known into all of our world. You see, they watched, they, they knew what it was to watch this baby come into the world for the first time. They knew what it was to, to watch this baby uh, fill its lungs with air for the first time. They watched their fingers move, to watch their eyes open. They, they, they knew how valuable life was, and they said, listen, we ought to obey God rather than man. Sometimes we have to make decisions in our own lives. Decisions that say, listen, God, I'm going to be submissive to you and not necessarily to this over here. God, I'm not going to go with my coworkers to that place. Lord, I'm not going to spend that time with that woman because she's not my wife. God, I'm going to make a line in the stand and I'm saying, and I'm going to choose to stand for you. Acts chapter 5, verse 29 is uh, that scripture I was talking about. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. I like this quote from G.K. Chesterton. It said, We fear men so much because we fear God so little. One fear cures the other. Think about that for a second. How much do you fear God? How much do you fear man? The fear of the Lord changes our hearts, it changes our actions, because it is not a fear that we're afraid He's going to hurt as much as a reverence awe for the Almighty God that causes us to live for Him above everything else. My, my, my hope, my prayer, oftentimes when I pray for my family, is that, Lord, help my children to know You, to love You, to see even to see Your miracles as You've revealed them to me in my life. You see, because here's the reality. Psalms 145 and verse 4 says, One generation shall praise Thy works unto another. 
You see, parents, God calls us then to instill in that next generation and say, listen, look at the great things that God has done. Let, let me point you to the wonderful ways in which God is working. Let me, let's go outside and let's look at the stars and see the wonderful creation of our God. The Bible says in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. You see, uh, without, without that basic foundation, our children, our families are in trouble today. And this is why the midwives, they said, listen, we're going to obey God more than, any, more than man. We're going to trust the Lord more than we trust anybody else. And so we see then, because of their obedience to God, God blessed them. Now, Exodus chapter 1 and verse number 20 says, Therefore, God dwelt well, dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass because the midwives feared God that He made them houses. Now God didn't go down there and said, all right, here's your little house, congratulations. What He's dealing with here is God gave these women children. Isn't that good? Listen, that was one of the greatest blessings for a, a woman. It was to be able to uh, be a woman who had children. We read in, in, in the life of Rachel how she grieved because she had no children. We saw in the life of Hannah how she grieved because she had no children. And they were often spurned because, uh, by other women who had children because they couldn't have children. And so, so God says, listen, I'm going to bless you with your own family because you were careful to guard mine. We have a good God, don't we? And He loves, he loves us. Finally, let's look at this. A very, very last thing tonight, a helpful hand. Because even in the midst of bondage, even in the midst of the hate, God always will make a way for escape. In this situation with the midwives took place, I, I remind you that it was 80 years from this moment in Exodus 1 to when they were actually delivered. 80 years. These midwives were trusting the Lord. They said, listen, God's going to bring a deliverer. 80 years later, God did bring the deliverer. Sometimes we have to be patient and wait on the Lord and say, Lord, I'm just going to rest in You. You know what that means? I'm not trying to manipulate the situation to make it work for me. I, can, can you be guilty of that? I can. Or I'm not going to worry or fret or, or try to change God in the midst of this. I just, Lord, I'm going to rest in You. Yes, I'm still praying. Yes, I'm still seeking. Yes, I'm still asking God, but I'm resting. My spirit is at rest because I'm trusting. That's a big difference. And when we know, that, that when we know the God of the Bible, then we know that we are able uh, to rest because He loves us. And that's what happened right here, because long before God delivered, He prepared a deliverer. And in this case, he was preparing a man, Moses. And that's who we're going to look at here in just a moment. Here in the Bible, we see the first off, the parental protection. So obviously, Pharaoh's plan was to have the midwives kill the babies. That didn't work, so he told the parents to kill their children. And, then, and so in verse number 22 of this same chapter, it says, And Pharaoh charged all the people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. So now the, the decree changed, and this time the, the decree was, Listen, you're going to take this baby, whatever male baby that's born, and you're going to throw him in the river. Whether it's yours or not, it doesn't matter. If you see a Hebrew boy, pick him up, throw him in the river. Say, sayonara. Look in verse number, chapter number 2. Let's continue on. It says, And there went a man out of the house of Levi, and took, uh, and took a wife 
took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. She protected her infant. I, I loved uh, to see that motherly instinct uh, just portrayed here in verse number 3. And when she could not uh, longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. All right, so here in this, we see Moses' family had no idea what they were going to do, how they were going to possibly protect Moses from the most powerful man in the world, but their faith was not in Pharaoh, their faith was in God. And they knew that God was greater than their circumstances. Hebrews sheds a little light on this situation. Hebrews 11, verse 23. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. They didn't fear man, they feared God. Isaiah 26, 3, let me remind you, that will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Now listen, as we look at this verse, we see that the byproduct of trusting God is a mind of peace. The byproduct of, of uh, resting in Him, of knowing Him, is that there is peace that abides in the heart of the believer. Why? Because you know enough about Him that you can trust Him. You can trust Him with this diagnosis. You can trust Him with this relationship. You can trust Him with your money. Listen, we can trust the Lord. And, and as we, we look at it, I have no idea. But I remember as a, as a student at BBC that my wife and I, we had come to BBC and we were dirt poor and we said, listen, we're not going to quit giving emissions and we're not going to quit giving our tithes, but we're going to sit down every month and we're going to sit down and we're going to do our budget. And every month we would do our budget and every month we would be short money on paper. Any other, anybody else remember that? Amen. And we would, we would say, all right, Lord, we don't know how this is going to work out. We just know that you're going to. And we would sit down and we would say, all right, Lord, by faith, we're writing this check for our tithes. By faith, we're writing this check for our missions. And we put it in, our, in the offering every single week that we got paid. And we put it in there and we just trusted the Lord. We had school bills. We had rent. We had utilities. We had uh, all kinds of things. And I had a job that paid 180 bucks a week. And man, I couldn't help but think, all right, Lord, I don't know how this is going to happen, but Lord, we're resting in you. Listen, we were poor, but we were, we were resting in God, and He supplied every need. Never did we go back at the end of the month and say, how, where did the money come from? Where did, where did this come from? Uh, all along the way, but we look back and we say, listen, it was God every single step of the way. Sometimes it was a basket of groceries that was laid there uh, with our name on it right outside our apartment. Sometimes it was a, a little uh, love offering coming uh, in the mail. But God always supplied because uh, we trusted in Him. You see, God gave grace and strength to Jochebed so she could make this tiny little ark to hold her baby and then take him to the Nile River now, I don't know about you, but when, when I think about my three-month-old three babies when they were little, I did not go throw them in a river. Now, I did that when they were about five or six. That's no big deal. But at three months old, I mean, that's a totally another story. When I learned to swim, I think I was about three or four years old, my mom said, here you go, boy, swim. 
But three months old, they're not going to figure it out, are they? But listen, the Nile is also filled with crocodiles. Could you imagine throwing your baby? But listen, Moses' mother just trusted in the Lord. Psalms 18 and verse number 2, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. You know what he was saying here? He said, listen, I determined to trust God. You see, that's what Jochebed said. That's what we can say today. We see a providential protection. So moms protected them. Now God is also going to work here. In verse number 9, we see where Pharaoh's daughter comes uh, to the river's brink. She sees the baby, has compassion on him in all of this. Listen, Moses was not only found, he was not only uh, saved by someone who was in a position to save him, but also God arranged that his own mother would take care of Moses in her home at the most integral part of his life, when, in those formative years when he's learning right from wrong, uh, good versus evil, about God, which God is the real God, and God put him back in his mother's home. Sometimes, and what I've noticed about my life is sometimes I can be guilty of trying to protect things. You ever notice that? We can guard things and say, all right, God, this is mine and I'm going to guard it, and nobody can have it. This is my water bottle. Y'all can't have it. You probably don't want it. Once a slobber on it, it's brand new, so you can't have it. And man, I, I'm just going to do everything I can, and I, and I hide it away, and I put it in a nook and a cranny. And, and what happens eventually is it wastes, amen, or we lose it. But you see, the real glorious thing is when we rest in the Lord, when we say, Lord, I trust you, and I give it to Him, oftentimes He returns it. Every single time. God is the one that multiplies. When we learn that from the Lord, what we learn is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. That's what it means to trust in the Lord. Lord, I'm not guarding, I'm not hoarding, I'm not, I'm not trying to keep this. This is not my child, this is your child. This is not my home, this is your home. Lord, I don't have to keep these things because you are the, you are the shield, you're the buckler, you're the high tower, and Lord, you're in the one I choose to trust. I trust you, Lord. You see, life brings periods of time when you feel as if maybe everything is out of your control. And there's someone that you love that's sick. Someone that you love has died. Maybe, maybe your finances are all the whack. You're trying to figure out how to budget in this crazy inflation. But everything may seem cloudy, and you just don't feel like you have control, no ability to see what's happening. But... You see, but God is still working. God is still alive, and we can still trust in Him. Even when there are laws that are passed that are contrary to the Word of God, even when our leaders hate the Lord and they uh, rebel against Him, we can still stand for the Lord. We can still fear Him. We can still trust in Him. We can still know that He is our helping hand in the midst of all of this. And we can, like Psalms 40 and verse 17, be able to say, But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. The Lord loves me. He thinks upon me. He is my help and my deliverer. And so, as the psalmist says, Lord, make no tarrying. Amen. 
I was listening to, uh, I was talking to a missionary, Brother Hoagie, yesterday, uh, and Brother Delbert Hoagie and his wife got to visit with him a little bit. And as we're sitting there and just over a cup of coffee, I just got to visit with him over 50 years in the Philippines. And they were sharing with me their story and all that God had done in their life. And I got to talking to him a little bit and he said, you know, our daughter wrote a song that simply was entitled, God is seldom early, but he's always on time. You know, when I was thinking about that phrase, and I thought, Lord, thank you that you're always on time in my life. Help me, Lord, to rest in Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for his help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?